0: Good afternoon. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Ben Burrows, and I'm a partner at ICF Next, and I will be your moderator today for our virtual roundtable. So I've had the pleasure of working alongside both of today's panelists, and I'm really excited to introduce you to them shortly. Today we get to have a conversation about a, a truly incredible transformation story. Over the past several years, our client, the Healthcare Financial Management Association, have taken the 200-year-old association business model and they've injected it with the types of modern, engaging experiences that today's members demand. Before I get started, I have a few housekeeping items that I wanna go over so that we can enjoy our time together as best as possible. First, please note that we have all of your lines muted during today's discussion, and if you have questions, you can submit them in the questions box. We'll gather those at the end and answer as many of those as possible Um, prior to the end of our time here today. Don't worry if you miss anything. We're recording this session, and we'll be sharing that recording with you via email. Last but not least, we would really appreciate it if you filled out the survey at the end to let us know how we did today. All right, let's begin. First, a little bit of background on ICF Next. We are a consulting agency that believes that participation is greater than experience. So what do we mean by that? Well, in a world where everyone expects great experiences and one where experiences are increasingly optimized to drive transactional outcomes, we work with brands and businesses and organizations to help them create deeper, more meaningful connections with their customers, colleagues, members, or citizens. We believe that by creating these participatory relationships, they're not only able to drive transactions, but generate higher order and ultimately higher value outcomes like loyalty, advocacy, and identity. Now participation is something that's earned. It's reciprocal, it's shared, and it's relevant. And when it's done right, it drives meaningful business outcomes and increases in enterprise value. We combine the creativity of an agency with the depth and expertise of a consultancy at ICF Next. Our global team of 1,700 changemakers are a mix of mission-driven strategists, marketers, technologists, and data scientists who harness the insights, creativity, and technology that motivates people. All right, now let's get on to what everybody's here for, our discussion. So I'd like to introduce you to Garth Jordan and Fred Faulkner, who'll be leading our discussion today. Fred, take it away.
1: Thanks, Ben. As you mentioned, I'm Fred Faulkner. I'm a partner at ICF Next, but prior to my time uh, here at ICF Next, I spent over a decade at associations, either helping create departments and strategies or consulting with them on their digital marketing strategies, marketing technology, implementations, and digital engagement. So really today's story holds a special place in my heart as associations really play such a great role in almost any industry and how they educate their members and non-members and advocate for best practices, regulations, and a number of other topics. The challenge that associations have, as well as really many, almost anyone in any industry, is how to connect with their evolving audiences. Sometimes that requires small tweaks and some changes. Other times it requires a larger transformation. And that's where we're going to take today's conversation. Garth, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, HFMA, and your role there?
2: Sure. Thanks, Fred. Nice to meet everybody on this uh, uh, roundtable today. Uh, My name is Garth Jordan. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for the Healthcare Financial Management Association. We are an organization uh, today of about 56,000 individuals who work in kind of the business side of healthcare in hospitals, large health networks uh, throughout the United States, primarily in healthcare finance finance and accounting, but also a variety of uh, of other roles. And our primary job with that uh, uh, membership audience is to uh, support them in their ongoing lifelong education, uh, lifelong networking with uh, with each other within uh, the uh, uh, industry of of healthcare. And uh, we have uh, gone through a transformation over the last few years that we're eager to share with you all today.
1: Great. Okay. So um, you mentioned you know transformation, but your transformation didn't start. Today. Actually, you started this story a couple years ago, and HFMA was seeing some trends that was causing some concerns and maybe raising some red flags as far as what you needed to do to kind of continue with your membership. Can you talk us through what that looked like and how did you know that HFMA, HFMA actually needed to make a change?
2: Sure. There were um, a few things. Uh, so, this is going to be a bit of a long answer. Uh, so the, the first thing that was most noticeable was an internal kind of red flag, so to speak. And that was that we, we looked at about seven years of data, uh, pretty simple data, and that is our membership was flat for almost seven years straight uh, from about 2008, 2009 through 2015, 16, when we really started our efforts we were at around 36,000 members and we were either kind of ebbing and flowing, give or take about one or 2% a year, sometimes losing, sometimes gaining, but right in that 36K mark. Uh, so that was uh, just that, that stagnant uh, kind of growth, if you will. I know that's an oxymoron, but uh, that stagnant growth was basically uh, kind of our first indicator. The second indicator was as we, as we were uh, in that stagnancy, we were watching uh, groups on LinkedIn that were affiliated with HFMA, especially the main HFMA group, grow to over 58,000 participants. So we saw this tremendous growth uh, just in kind of the natural social networking of our membership, Uh, but we weren't growing. The, uh, The next thing we decided that kind of sparked us to look more at the association industry more broadly. And we saw we found data that uh, was uh, from a, a previous study uh, that a little over fifty percent of the association industry was seeing uh, the same results we were seeing, either flat or decreased membership. And those in the forty-five percent of the of associations that were seeing growth, they were averaging only about a four to five percent growth rate. Now, you might consider that to be pretty decent growth across. Half of uh, an industry, but that four to five percent was heavily skewed, actually, by just a handful of associations that were experiencing tremendous growth—hundred percent growth year over year. Associations that, for example, were in high-growth industries like cannabis, uh, wearable devices, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, and even uh, kind of uh, uh, Bitcoin—you know—types sure. of uh, cr- cr- cryptocurrencies. So that, uh, the, the fact was we, we were looking at the association industry across the board and seeing just this, this really difficult time in terms of growth as well. So that caused us to look at uh, 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 kind of sequentially the association model itself. And uh, for those that aren't really familiar, associations started uh, a couple hundred years ago with Ben Franklin starting some of the first professional societies. And their intent and model over the course of a couple hundred years hadn't already hadn't really changed that much. The intent was essentially about, uh, you know, sharing intellectual property, learning from each other, uh, networking with each other. That's really the kind of the main intent from those early professional societies. And uh, over the course of a couple hundred years, you join a professional society association, whether it's a trade or a professional association, and you get a variety of kind of learning and networking opportunities with that.
1: Pretty standard uh, over the model. Years, I'm sorry, go ahead, Fred. I'm sorry, it's a pretty standard model that still exists today in many, many associations.
2: Yeah, it's it's very, very standard. And uh, uh, and that model is as you join, you get a membership, you get a few features of that membership with it. And then on top of that, you to get access to more learning, more networking, and even more leadership opportunities, you usually have to uh, have a heavy participation and even buy more products and services from your association. So associations are fairly narrow in who they serve because they serve a specific profession, yet they're trying to sell you a membership and then sell you more products and more services and more conferences, more certifications on top of that kind of dipping into the same wallet over and over again. And it's really hard to grow that way without just growing you know, in the number of members you're also trying to get them to pay more, spend more with you over the course of their tenure with you. So it started to prove to be a, a fairly challenging uh, model, if you will, not only for us but for associations across the board.
1: Yeah, for sure. And again, and there's, I mean, I'm sure, anyone who hears on an, in an association, that's still a model that they probably run today, and you know, share of wallet, but just you know, having that active, you know, component of Adding on, adding on is is something that's still very real. So, so as I mentioned kind of in the beginning, you know, you can make small tweaks to, kind of make some shifts, or there's some bigger transformation that you can actually do. And and so it sounds like as you looked at the landscape, transformation was probably more the direction than than making a small tweak and a small uh, here or there. So, um, what did that kind of look like from a transformation standpoint? You, you needed to kind of do something more once you acknowledge what you were trying to do. How did you know you actually had to take action? And do something with that.
2: Well, uh, so I'm going to go back to the first question for just a second and say we we, we actually started looking at other models uh, outside of the association world, and um, and those models were fairly inspiring for us. Uh, it, it, we weren't really seeing a lot of associations do significant transformation. Sure, they were pushing things to the cloud or launching microsites for their magazines and doing a. The pretty standard stuff. But when we started to look out at other models, you could look at everything from like Harvard Business Review to Coursera out there in the world, which is doing amazing stuff with universities and free education. We start looking at those other models for inspiration, number one. And uh, that's one thing that we we did. Uh, We also did some work on uh, with our board around uh, what transformation meant to us. And we brought those, those models in as well as some ideas that we had. And we started talking about what transformation meant to us. And this gets to your second question, Fred. We decided that transformation wasn't just about digital transformation, but about transforming our business model, which really meant we needed to uh, uh, make it easier to use, easier to access, perhaps change the entire financial structure of how we uh um, Derived revenue, and also how we support that with both technology and our staffing. So when we use the word transformation, we're talking about it from a very holistic perspective. And to be maybe a, a little dramatic or over the top about it, it was almost as if we were saying we need to keep building or keep working on our our old model if you will and build an entirely new one from scratch on the yeah. side and be ready to launch that over you know the next couple of years so we were thinking about transformation essentially from the most holistic perspective you could take it
1: yeah and and that's good you know you can't stop doing something as you plan and do the prepare for the next, you have to run those in parallel because you know it's not like you're gonna stop your business model today, just so you can start to think about implementing a new business model, you know, later. Um, so as yeah. you looked at that business model, what kind of methods and methodologies did you actually kind of apply to come to some conclusions of what that new business model looks like?
2: Well, the the way we so so in, in an association, you have a, and just like any other business, you have a variety of stakeholders. So we have uh, I would say kind of several groups of primary stakeholders, our staff, of course, because they care about the business and their their jobs. Our board, uh, because our board is comprised of our members. They're not uh, shareholders. They're shareholders in passion, not so much financially, but in passion. And then our members themselves, who are also, if you will, our shareholders. So we have all these different stakeholders. So what we decided was uh, uh, that in order to and once we decided that transformation was important to us, we, we had the, the agreement, if you will, going forward that we needed to do something, but we didn't know what that would look like yet. Right. So we decided to take the concept of uh, human-centered design, use design thinking, essentially, and we adopted and adapted uh, design thinking for our strategic planning process. So in a nutshell, over the course of the last six months, what we did was we engaged our staff and our board and about 120 members. Uh, we we collected a, a huge amount of qualitative information about kind of the day in the life of a of a member of a customer, and we distilled that into the major themes that we that we saw in their in their kind of daily lives in terms of what they needed from an organization so that they could be successful and that their organizations could be successful. And that's really the power of design thinking and human centered design generally is that it kind of forces you into a very empathetic view. And so that empathetic view gave to us the the, uh, kind of high-level themes that we needed to address with a new business model. From there, essentially what we did was uh, uh, a couple of the high-level themes that came out of it were straightforward, like uh, we need ease of access and ease of use of a model, right? right? In other words, we had an overly complicated model for them to access. Another example was they wanted uh, to be able to give all of their staff access to what we had to offer, not just in onesies and twosies, so to speak. So there were a variety of themes like that. Um, Then what we did with all of that information was we followed the design thinking pathway and we essentially created a a prototype of what an entirely new model might look like. I went out to Wix.com and I just made a fake website that was just meant to give someone a high level experience of what it might be uh, like to join this new HFMA. And in in doing that, we realized we would have to get kind of everybody on board. We we put that prototype out in front of our board and some of our members to see if we were even uh, kind of heading in the right direction. And uh, that made a huge difference. That was at about the time then that we decided hey, this is a huge change for us. Uh, even if this prototype is wrong, it's either right or it's wrong or it's somewhere in between. Yep. We're going to need a lot of help with this transformation. So what we did at that point in time was we engaged ICF to help us think through the, the next significant steps that we were going to have to take. And uh, ICF Next helped us kind of go through a couple more phases of that prototype and uh, not only think about the, the, the future of that business model and how we needed to evolve it so we had a kind of a final destination to design toward, but there was a really key and interesting, I would say turning or tipping point uh, in our relationship with ICF Next within the first couple months where we realized that big project, that huge transformation was going to have to be split into three main projects. One was, and we were already working on it, the design of the new business model, right? That, you know, what is it going to look like and how are you going to execute it? But then the other two in parallel were the design of the technology that supports the implementation of that business model, which we were nowhere near close. And the second was the organizational design, the people, the, the, the organizational structure, the business processes, that organizational design that will support a new model. We were designed around a 200-year-old model, not around a contemporary business model. So that was where the, the relationship with ICF Next for us, uh, really, like the initial value was significant there. And then it took off from there.
1: Yeah. And, and transitioning again, you mentioned the two things that I love to hear about transformations, which is people and process that goes along with technology a lot of people think transformations and again we use the you use the word transformation big word first and then digital second which is some people think digital transformation you put in technology it's going to solve problems but really people and process is a huge other part and that is an organizational design component that goes in that as well so you're right most yes. organizations are revolved around just centered around you know the, the staffing is around that 200 year old model you know that change has to go in place with your digital experience transformation or you're going to struggle and many, I think, associations too, you still struggle, and I'll say organizations in general, you know, struggle with, and how do you actually maintain the new model if you're not staffed correctly to do it? Right, exactly. So as we look at the business model, you, you mentioned some of the outside external sources that you kind of looked at. Can you elaborate a little bit more on some of those external influences that you saw that made you want to think about, this is how our business model needs to change, and how did it actually evolve your business model?
2: Yeah, I will... Uh, uh... So let me let me talk about the the old model first, uh, just briefly again. The the association model, and this is again very true across almost any professional association you look at. They're built around three, I would say, three verbs: lead, learn, and connect. And so, we what we do around lead, learn, and connect is kind of, if you will, create product lines and experiences around those three verbs. So, for example, the lead verb. We give people volunteer leadership opportunities, speaking opportunities, writing opportunities, and kind of treat members special around those types of opportunities. In the learn opportunities, uh, you know, we have online learning. We have magazines, certifications, fellowships. We have those type of conferences, both virtual and face-to-face. We have the learning opportunities for lifelong learner, and then the connect uh, opportunities are, uh, you know, face-to-face networking events as well as online communities, that kind of thing. Right. So <clears throat> that's the that's the traditional model. And we didn't really think about integration of those three things very well uh, as associations. We didn't really think about a holistic experience, a seamless experience. Sure, that we have some single sign-on and that kind of thing. But again, we would ask people to buy a membership, and then buy and or somehow kind of wean their way into any one of those product areas or product lines and experiences, uh, dipping into wallets over and over again. When we looked at other business models, uh, whether it was the Harvard Business Review model, Coursera, uh, we started to even look at things like Spotify, New York Times, uh, of course, LinkedIn, maybe an obvious one, you saw, you know, freemium models. You saw, you know, tiered access. Uh, what we didn't see was models that reflected the association model, where there's like a hundred different product lines that you have to kind of navigate and buy your way into. Right. The one that was most inspirational for us was actually—it's probably a very obvious one—but it was Netflix, and for a couple reasons, Netflix is still a, a, a content organization. That's very much what an association is about. When you layer on community, it, it kind of adds, uh, adds another dimension to it, but it's very content heavy. When you look at Netflix, you have your monthly subscription. Uh, you can turn it on or off whenever you want, but uh, Netflix doesn't care uh, on any given day how much content you watch. They don't care whether you're looking at uh, content that they license or whether you're looking at a Netflix original. They're very personalization heavy, meaning, you know, I can go in and and get all those uh, great uh, Netflix originals recommended to me. My daughter can go into her account uh, all on the same family account, et cetera. And at the same time, they're very data driven. I think it's pretty well known that Netflix originals are built off of consumption data. Um, They also have a really interesting measure that's about um, uh, kind of what the value of what you watch so, Fred, if you watch, uh, you know, Friends, eighty uh, percent of the time, they know that Friends is the primary reason that, that you are uh, um, that you have your subscription to Netflix. So they're able to use that information to maintain you as a uh, as a lifelong customer uh, based on what they license and or what their original creations are. So we took that as our inspiration uh, in part because that Netflix model. Um, as well as many others that are like it Spotify, et cetera, they started to set they, they've set consumer expectations at a bar that's much higher, frankly, than associations are uh, have set for themselves or live up to. And so we started thinking about what it meant to be kind of that all access or open access, what it meant to be data driven, what it meant to meaning use that data, to, uh, um, to only create the stuff that people want instead of creating the stuff that we think they want and right. we're actually doing it based on their consumption and how they vote by, by clicking or vote with their feet, so to speak. Right. So that was our that, those were the types of organizations we looked at that were our inspiration. Uh, the one that I would also mention that we looked at and it was it was inspiring. We didn't necessarily follow the model, but it was inspiring because of how they disrupted an industry was Warby Parker. Warby uh, Parker basically disrupted the the you know op, the the ophthalmology industry by by enabling people to buy glasses cheap, give glasses away, you know one for one, you give one right. away when you buy one, that kind of thing, and uh, um, the disruption to the uh, uh, ophthalmology industry has been has been tremendous, and that's kind of what we were thinking we wanted to try to do for the association industry. It's to, to give our industry a kind of a swift kick, so to speak.
1: Interesting. And I would probably say I would drop my Netflix subscription if they decided to nickel and dime me and saying, well, you want to watch dramas or you're into, you know, superhero <laughs> movies. And, you know, that's, it's not the, the model that is going to work to keep people, you know, subscribed. And so, you know, subscriptions, memberships, you know, those words can get really similar, but how is how are you looking at memberships in a subscriber kind of world? And how is your membership model? Um, you know, there's a business model, but then there's a membership model. How has that changed? Because you did take some heavy influences from Netflix, but it's not um you have still have options to have tiers for who can access what at what specific point in time and and even right. that whole tiered um, metering kind of scenario to continue to bring that engagement. Can you elaborate a little bit more or talk some more about how you actually adopted those business pro, those business components into now your world?
2: Sure. So, uh, of course, you know, you're a non-member or you're a member and people think that there's kind of nothing in between, at least in most associations, there's really nothing or not much in between. And, uh, uh and that was true uh, of us prior to launching our new model. So what we've done with the new technology in this all-access model in the first place, we went from a membership that costs about $335, and our membership now costs $435. So So you increased your price. We we increased our price by, that's about 33%. And um, we actually didn't lose members when we did that price increase, but we moved from that kind of nickel and diming, as you you called it, to the all-access model, which really... uh, uh, enhance the value Um, at the same time that we did that or around the same time that we did that we did kind of some stage launching we launched uh, um, not only the all access but we launched um, a guest account which gives someone an opportunity to just give us a name and an email just like you would expect on say Spotify or Pandora
1: Low barrier of entry
2: yep right low barrier of entry and then they can actually experience um, a wide variety of the uh, of the content, mostly educational content, uh, as well as uh, news and other content that we have that you normally would uh, bump up against a like a metered wall. Right. If you're not a guest. Sure. So it gives them a little bit of a deeper access. And then within uh, about another eight months after that, we launched also a trial membership. So, again, you know, you give us a little more information, which includes a credit card, and you let us know if you want us to bill you monthly or annually. So it's like my Spotify subscription, yep. frankly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you can actually try everything during your first month, right, before you, before you actually let us start to bill you. Uh, for example, you can go online and you can actually consume an entire certification, which would normally cost you, you know, say $500 retail. Now that said, you can't get the certification unless you're a member. So there's a little bit of a you know of yeah. a of a carrot, carrot at the end, right? But the point is is that people really want access and they want to try things before they necessarily commit. And I think we as associations have to feel comfortable with living on the value of the content that we provide, and and feeling good that that's not really a gamble to give people that trial. So what we've seen in short order now is we have um, uh, over I think we're I think we're close to twenty thousand guest memberships, which is a group of names and emails that we you know obviously want to convert and market to, and we have been that we didn't have before. We didn't have those kind of qualified uh individuals uh prior in our old model number one we just launched trials uh less than less than a week ago and we already have over a hundred people on the trial membership so and we and we didn't do a massive marketing rollout we just left it uh passively on the website and we're already starting to see traction with that so again taking our cues from a more more contemporary models that are more contemporary subscription models And applying them into kind of the membership sphere, there's still a difference between a subscription and a membership. You know, my subscription to Spotify, I don't feel connected to a community, so to speak, like I do in my membership with uh, you know the American Society of Association Executives or something like that. So there's a difference, but there's no reason why the models uh, can't learn from each other.
1: Right. So, so now you have a model. You have you know some new business rules. you've got some pricing changes, but you know now implementing that experience is a little bit different story. So, let's talk a little bit transition and talk a little bit about how sure. you've actually technically implemented these changes. and that that requires technologies to talk to each other. That talks about design, um user experience. Can you can you talk about how you then also now took that and then transformed it into a digital experience for your members?
2: Yeah. So most associations have three main uh, kind of systems that have to work together. Uh, We have an association management system or a customer relationship management system (CRM). We have a content management system and we have a learning management system. Uh, We focused on the CRM and the CMS first. So we have a Salesforce CRM, and we went with Adobe Experience uh, Manager for our uh, CMS. The, the reason, and, and which is pretty high-end for a, a small organization, uh, the reason we went there was for some pretty straightforward reasons. Uh, a, future uh, ability for plugins ins and, uh, and integrations. That's probably kind of on the lower end of the rationale. The higher end of the rationale is for personalization. So I alluded to that when I talked about Netflix with us for our audience, you know, being able to serve up uh, someone healthcare finance, different types of uh, uh, content on policy regulation, you know uh, f- uh, future facing technologies like how AI is going to impact you know healthcare finance down to certifications is this certification meaningful to you? Should we serve it up to you and ask you to go ahead and give it a try those are that was probably one of the biggest drivers for us as well as being able to have just a very fully integrated experience. Someone can come to the website, so to speak, which it's not a website, it's our product now, right? right. <laughs> I need to call yeah. it a website. So no. someone c- can come to the digital product, you know, log in and get access to all of the content, all of the community in a very integrated way. So if you're in the community and you're consuming some content from the community and it makes sense for us to say to you, hey, you should probably look at this certification. We want that fully integrated experience. So um, so in working with ICF uh, and uh, um, in trying to to create this implementation, of course, we we did not have the development expertise, expertise, nor did we have necessarily the model development. The, the, I'm sorry, the IT development expertise, nor the model development expertise. And that's where that's where the the uh, partnership with ICF for us really started to, to shine was when we made our final decision on the, the CRM and the CMS, uh, the development we went through, I think, 15 sprints to bring it all to life. So you're talking about 30 to 40 weeks of work yeah. to bring it all to life once the design was done. Um, At the same time, the last thing I'll say about that is in in, uh, um, going towards kind of a more contemporary CRM and CMS for us, at the same time, we were able to build a data lake so that we can actually start to uh, get a more holistic and integrated view of consumption and what's driving the engagement with the digital product.
1: That's real smart. You know, even if you're not going to activate on that data right away, the fact that you're collecting it in all these different systems and putting it in a place that you could start to put layers, extract the data, use it to influence member, non-member interaction, you know, the kind of versions of your funnel that exist um, is real smart to have that upfront as a strategy than a after the fact strategy. Yeah, for sure. It, it goes
2: back to that holistic transformation conversation. And I failed to mention that we looked at data as a major component of that transformation. You know, I'll say this. we were trying to collect two hundred and fifty to three hundred data points on every member prior to our transformation. We actually simplified and reduced that by about eighty percent. And we now we collect maybe forty to fifty data points. We figured it's better to start with the kind of the simpler data collection and then build complexity from there. And we're already seeing uh, less than a year uh, out from that uh, redesign of the data and the the data architecture, the data lake, the storage, the, the reporting. We're already starting to see um, uh, how data is much more easy for us to use,
1: analyze, understand and make decisions from. That's smart. And, and... Again, you know, it's different skills and different things. It's almost paralysis by analysis at times if you have too much. So the fact that you reduce those data points down to actually more actionable data points than than anything else is a real smart move. And I think a lot of organizations you can really learn from that because you know there's always the well, what if someday? But you know, really, is the what ifs can always uh, burden down the but what can we do now and how do we make this work for for us to see actionable results and some ROI? So it's a real smart move to kind of streamline that now data points on your members isn't the only thing you streamlined. It's, um, if I understand correctly, you also you know have products that you're now making available. But there's, again, so many products that are out there, whether they be content or other kind of services. What did you and how have you guys actually streamlined that to provide more value? I'm going to come back to that word value that you used earlier. Associations are, is a value proposition why you want to you know, subscribe and spend your money with with them um, with them. So how have you actually streamlined your services and your products to actually provide greater value than maybe having the plethora of anything you might possibly want to now more narrow to like the things you really want and need?
2: Sure. The I uh, so in our old model, so to speak, we had multiple product lines. We had newsletters, we had a magazine, we had various uh webinars and podcasts and forms of uh, content media. We had online learning, we had certifications and all that stuff. And we even had, you had to buy access to an online community separate from your membership. So we have all these different products, number one. So now, A, to your point, it's all access, right? But we didn't just make everything all access and then say it's all the same in the first place. We did get rid of a, a variety of Products, if you will, that weren't being consumed, especially early on. At the same time, we uh, used the new content management system to serve things up more effectively, more efficiently, et cetera. Uh, but I want to get back to uh, um, part of the storyline that that tends to—it's not the sexy part. So, but uh, but it's a really integral part, and this is where ICF helped us think through a lot of it. Our content generation was happening across, I think, about four or five different departments within HFMA. We redesigned that to be centralized, and now we have essentially one content department. So instead of having people focused on, if you will, the output, meaning I make webinars, I make magazines, I make newsletters, I make online learning, we now have a team that looks at the Content that's needed. So, for I'll, I'll pick an example: um, uh, price transparency in healthcare. That's a that's a high level topic. That content team looks at that high level topic and says, how do we now need to treat that topic over the course of the next three, six, nine, twelve months? And they may say, well. Let's start off with a series of articles and then get into expert interviews on podcasts and webinars. And then we'll see if the consumption tells us that we need to go into more depth with online learning and perhaps even build a certification off of that. So it becomes driven based on the topic number one and the consumption number two, not the individual department outputs. And that centralization is very unique in the association world anyway but it also really supports so it's it's not only uh, more effective and efficient for us it also supports this unified digital access model Uh, what we've done is we now are treating content almost like it's a financial budget at one time uh, i think it was in march of 2017 we looked at how many words we published we published like eighty-one thousand words through, you know, webinars and and uh, um, um, news bulletins and magazines and all that good stuff. We now publish uh, somewhere around uh, thirty to sometimes fifty percent less than that, and it's because a we're more targeted, uh, but b we're really t- uh, tackling in depth fewer topics because we're more concentrated on what the consumer is actually
1: using right not yeah. based on what we think they should be reading yeah and that's that's i think everyone can take a lesson from that again if you're an association or not you know there's you, you have a new model you, you want to actually provide the value because value is something that every organization wants to provide it'd be it'd be one thing if you know even even the netflix they 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 trim content based on what their viewers are doing is like some seasons only last two um you know, some shows only last two seasons because of those same kind of analysis. So it's a very interesting way you've approached it. But at the same time, the the value to the member, which keeps them renewing and retention, and then acquiring as well, because hopefully word of mouth is getting out and saying, "Hey, Hfma is producing some really good content here. You should join." You know, I think those are it's a recipe for success when you have all the right ingredients. And sure enough, this is a, a multi year process where you have started to really put the recipe together and find the right ingredients to make this transformation. So let me ask you this. Do you think you transformed a 200-year-old business model?
2: <laughs> uh, well, I want to play off of... So I'm going to hold off on my answer and play off of something you just said a minute ago, which was really about... Uh, um, you said it one way, but I'll say it a different way. It's really about this kind of conversion process, right? Uh, um, we're trying to help a potential audience understand who we are, what we have to offer, but more importantly, how we fit into their needs and the value that they want to extract from, you know, lifelong learning, networking, et cetera. When they show an interest in who we are, maybe become a guest or something like that. We want to convert them of course, to a paying member, but then go beyond that and create loyalty. And then even beyond that and create advocacy, advocacy for, who HFMA is, but advocacy for the profession and for improvement to our industry, right? And what this new model has allowed us to do, uh, frankly, is to be very methodical in that very, in that long conversion process. Right. You don't create, you can create an advocate for Spotify pretty quickly, but to create an advocate for a profession in an industry takes a little bit longer time. It's a little more in depth. But what we've got now is a very integrated uh, tool and process and product that allows us to look at that conversion and where we can start to turn dials using data to help us understand where we can turn dials, whether we're adding a feature into membership or subtracting one. Um, and what we're what we're doing now, so this is early uh, uh, for us is we're looking at where people are consuming across all of those products and services and experiences and we're starting to build a holistic engagement score so that for example if you're a guest member on a scale of zero to a hundred, guests maybe on average have a score of whatever 15 to 30 okay right but as you become a member your engagement might be a 40 to a 50 as you become loyal it might be a 60 or 70 and we're starting to use this information to build, It's almost like saying I can take a bunch of data off of the body and independently that data doesn't tell me much. But if I mash it all up together, Fred, I can tell you when you wear your Apple Watch now, it pulls off seven different pieces of data and it can tell me how well you're sleeping at night. Right. That's very rich information. And that's what we're trying to do with this. So in that regard, that's one example uh, to, to give you an answer to your question. I believe we've transformed the 200 year old model. Got it. Because now we have that
1: capability, which we did not have before. And, uh, um, and we're seeing results from it. So I'm going to show some of these. So this is what we're seeing, right? Increase in member renewals, increase in consumption, increase in members per month. I'm sure there's other ones as well, but you are seeing success in delivering, um,
2: Absolutely, and that twenty-five percent increase in new members per month. I want to I want to poke at that just for a quick second, and say that twenty-five percent increase was immediate, which is really interesting. So we launched June one or so of two thousand nineteen. June, so month to month, over previous months, you know, year over year, previous months, we're we're seeing a twenty-five percent increase in new members. And that continues today, even during this this COVID, you know, strangeness that's going on for all of us. That has not uh, decreased at all, um, and our 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 uh, guest member growth is still there, and our conversions of those guests are slowly improving as we learn over time what it means to convert. Um, and of course, we're going to try to learn how to convert members into loyalists and advocates as we as we use the data as I mentioned earlier so it's important to say that we had some success yes from our launch but it hasn't really changed that much especially uh, um, those uh, the 100% and the 25% numbers the the renewals is pretty stable as well but we're in a renewal phase right now so it's hard to be exact
1: yeah sure well, Garth, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for your time today about talking about this kind of this amazing initiative that we've taken together over the last couple of years. I'm going to bring Ben back to kind of go through some questions that have been you know, coming in as we've been talking and you know, kind of see if there's some answers we can give them.
0: Yeah, thanks, Fred. Great stuff, guys. Um, really great conversation. Um, so as a reminder to everybody on the line, you can submit questions using the questions panel. Um, and we will uh, try to get to as many as we can here. Um, so, I have a question to maybe get us started and, and give folks on the line a chance to enter their questions. Um, Garth, you know, this story, as we've talked about, is all about innovation. Um, so, does innovation stop now for HFMA? Or if not, how do you sustain innovation?
2: Well, no, it doesn't stop. I think, uh, um, uh, we, uh, so I'll give you an example. That's what I, I kind of live through examples. Uh, when, when we develop this, this new business model, we kind of look at it as if we've developed a new platform. So think about Uber as a platform, right? It allows people to you know, rent someone's car, rent a driver and get from A to B. But now that they've built that platform, on top of that, they're able to build Uber Eats and then they're doing medical trans not non emergent uh, not emergency medical transportation on a platform, right? So we've built a platform now, and the question is is how are we going to take advantage of this platform? We can move into adjacent markets. Um, we could, for example, help another association under duress today run their association for them. Essentially, I know it's not this easy, but we could copy and paste our platform, and run another association's business for them. That's like being an association management company. So those are just two examples of what this investment in uh, people, technology, process, business model has enabled us to do and think of. And we are on the cusp. We're going through uh, strategic planning right Uh, as we we speak here. We're using the now near far model uh, adapted by Ford from Steelcase. Um, and we're coming up with some really cool ideas about not only how to use this platform, but how to evolve it to a next step.
0: That's great. And Garth, I know we've had a lot of conversations about the now near far model. Um, encourage everybody on the line to to Google it if you're not familiar with it. Um, it is a, a really uh, interesting construct for strategic planning. Yep. Um, OK, we have a, a question uh, coming in on the line. Um, so. Garth, knowing what you know now, what advice do you have for other associations who need to effect a similar transformation?
2: I have, so I've spoken about this with a variety of association executives, one on one and in groups uh, uh, at conferences. You know, I've spoken about this particular transformation, and one of the kind keen interests that that folks have is how do I get started. Uh, And for us, uh, uh, again, I go back to how we got started was we adopted and adapted design thinking for strategic planning, which was kind of an interesting marriage. Design thinking is usually uh, was with mostly being used for things like product development, maybe some service development. Most recently now to tackle large social challenges, we basically used it to to talk about transforming uh, the organization, of course, But we did it in a way because it's human centered and because it really takes in to account your your member point of view and your member needs uh, in a very unique way. Um, What that allowed you to do is help your board, your executives and your staff get off the mark. Um, Most. So, again, the 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 feedback I usually get is, is we don't know how to get started. And uh, it seems to me that getting past that point of inertia, there's willingness, for example, to use reserves to invest in a new model or invest in new technology, but we don't know how. We don't know how how we can reduce the risk of what it means to to engage in such a significant change. And so whether, now I'm a big fan of human-centered design, design thinking, I've been practicing it for 10 years. What I would say to folks is if that doesn't work for you, find, find what it is that will allow you to get off the mark. But do it in a way where your executives, your board, your staff, and even your members have a common expectation. Otherwise, you're going to start to run into battles with stakeholders. And that's that's not a good place
0: to be. That's great. Thanks. All right. We have time for one more question. Um, doesn't look like there are any other questions in the queue. We'll give folks just a, a moment here if there are any other questions. If not, so I actually have one other question. Um, So Garth, uh, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, I know that you're uh, in a a renewal cycle right now for your membership. So that's ultimately going to be the true barometer of how this has been received. But tell us a little bit about um, uh, how your current membership has received uh, this transformation, what type of feedback you're hearing from the community. Sure.
2: So the, um, The quantitative feedback is is our renewals are still higher than they were prior to this. So, in fact, uh, I think the last number I saw you had on the screen 8%. We were at 7%, you know, depending on the week, it might be 5%, but it's still higher. So, I don't want to not talk about the quantitative side. But on the qualitative side, what we hear over and over again is that the access, the accessibility, the ease of access, the personalization... That, that that contemporary uh, approach and experience to basically make their lives, their professional lives easier. You know, Netflix made our entertainment lives easier. I can watch anything I want whenever I want at the airport when I'm on two hour delay downtime. You know, <laughs> there's no fear of missing out. Right. Uh, well, we're trying to do the same for the professional who cares about lifelong learning and, and lifelong networking. And there is a true, for those who care about that kind of thing, there is a sincere appreciation uh, that's reflected back to us. In written comments and calls to our member services team, uh, in comments that are made directly to our CEO and our executive staff, to our board members, there's a passion for uh, uh, this content and to have it kind of now free and out in the open, not free, but out in the open once you've paid your membership dues is uh, um, we're, we're getting a lot of positive feedback.
0: That's great, okay. Um, we are just about at time here, so we will uh, wrap everything up. Um, Garth, Fred, thank you so much. This was a great discussion here today. Um, a, a really inspiring story and one that I think we all can, can learn from. So um, thanks everybody on the line and uh, we will see everybody on another uh, panel discussion soon.
1: Thanks, Ben. Thank Thanks, you. Garth. Thank you very much, thank you.